You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, Midtown. Really great to worship with you guys this morning. Um, it's already been a great morning already, uh, just celebrating with the kids. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the executive pastor here at Midtown. Would love to meet you if I haven't met you yet. Want to give a special welcome to, it looks like a lot of families maybe came in to see these kids dedicated or the kids perform, so we're really glad that your family members have come to celebrate with your kids like this. Or if you're just brand new to Midtown, we'd love to meet you afterward. Uh, before we get started with the message and continue our Advent series, I did want to draw attention to Jennifer Box, Midtown Kids Pastor. Let's all give her a hand. She does such a great job, so... So, just wanted to acknowledge her. She's always behind the scenes, back working with the kids, and you who have kids and all of you who volunteer with Midtown Kids know what a great job she does, and so we want to just acknowledge that this morning. So, thanks, Jennifer. (laughs) That's awesome. Also, I was reminded today, man, we had a lot of technical difficulties getting started today, and it was so fun just to see our tech team pull everything out and all these people who volunteer here on Sunday mornings do such a great job, and we really um, appreciate all of you contributing like you do. And I wanted to point out, have you noticed like our little decorations over here on the snack table have gotten quite, quite a bit better? <laughs> so that's Jimmy Burkett. Where is Jimmy? I don't know where Jimmy is right now. There's Jimmy, so you can say thanks to Jimmy. He's, he's spicing it up and making it look nice for us. Um, and one last thing by way of family announcements is to say, uh, Emmy, it's really good to see you. And I can't believe you toughed it out and are here. So Emmy uh, had jaw... Uh, fell this week and broke her jaw and had surgery on Friday. And so just want to let you know that we've all been praying for you, and it's, it's really good to see you and glad that your family's here uh, to be with you as well. Um, glad that you're here. So we're going to continue in this uh, Advent uh, series. You saw kind of if you watched the video, it's a little Advent conspiracy sermon series this morning. where We've been trying to ask the question, uh, what if we decided to let what we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas? We said, like, what would it look like for us actually to, to worship God in a way during this Advent season where we're actually celebrating Him and not getting caught up in, like, the busyness and the consumerism of Christmas? And we've been saying, like, what if we could serve during this Advent season and actually really worship Jesus instead of having to fall into the trap of the love of money, thinking about all the expenses and the gifts and the exchanging of gifts and all the things that accompany Christmas normally? What would it look like if at the bottom line this year we could actually give, spend less and give more? Like, that's the, the bottom line tangible thing that we're, we're asking us all to consider and to prayerfully see how God would lead us during this Advent season to actually spend less so that we can actually give more. And so today we're actually going to talk about a real particular group of people that we might be led to give to. And I'm going to talk about the difference between exchanging gifts and giving gifts, because most of the time, if we we're honest, Christmas is more like an exchanging of gifts, right? Like, most of the time, the gifts that you're giving to people, they're also in turn giving you gifts, maybe with the exception of our, of our children, But most of the time, Christmas gifts are actually an exchange. But what if we were actually this Advent season? Think about a way that we could give to others and particularly give to others that would never give anything back to us. That's actually giving a gift, right? Not exchanging a gift. So that's what we'll talk about today. Before we do that, I just wanted to ask, like, how many of you uh, have not bought a single gift yet? Yes, there's some people like me out there. That's awesome. <laughs> How many of you were done like weeks ago? Like you're just the, you're Black Friday and you get it all knocked out and you're just done. So yeah, there's all different personality types, right? I can tell you how it kind of works with my family. Uh, Brendan and I are the ones that buy things late, but then there's another side on my side of the family that they start on Black Friday and they're usually done by like the end of November. They just, they just knock it all out and they, they, they just love doing that. 
And I'm the type of person who honestly just doesn't love shopping. So that's admittedly, that's one like huge barrier as to why I don't want to go do the shopping. But there's also another part of it that I actually find shopping pretty stressful. Because in my family, you got people that actually give you a list. Like they say, hey, here's exactly what I want. I'm not talking like generally speaking. My family, some of them will give you like an entire list. And to me, then that stresses me out because if I'm going shopping, I feel like I'm actually like doing their grocery shopping for them. Like <laughs> it's kind of like I'm shopping for you. you tell, it's kind of weird, like, you know. And then, but then it's also equally hard when I, you know, don't want, when I want to get off the list and kind of do something different, then I'm a little bit afraid. Like, am I going to do something that they want? Am I going to get something they want? Or are they going to be disappointed with it? And that causes stress. So that, all of that contributes to me not wanting to do it to the last minute. So we'll start tomorrow for me. Uh, my brother, uh, this is a, a much longer story, but my brother, um, his wife's sister, so his sister-in-law, um, was in a, a really major, we all grew up together, was in a really major accident when she was younger, a teenager, and ca- caused brain damage and actually like changed her personality. She's thankfully in a, a super, super loving home and has a lot of care and attention and she's functioning pretty well, but just her personality's changed significantly from the, ac- from the incident. But one of the things that's changed is now she doesn't have a filter and they say that their Christmas, one of the funniest things is that when they give her gifts, she always responds in one of two ways. She'll open it and she'll be like, I love it. Or she'll open it and she'll go, no. <laughs> and so they've just grown to appreciate it because it just doesn't have a filter. That's just how she responds. So sometimes we'll do it to each other just to ingest. But honestly, that's how I feel sometimes at Christmas when you're exchanging gifts, right? It's like internally, most of my friends have filters, but externally, like, are they doing thumbs up? Or are they doing thumbs down? And all the pressure that comes with that. But that's because it's a gift exchange. But there's far less pressure when you, when you give just to someone who you're not going to get anything in return. Uh, I don't know about you, but when we first started the Advent series, uh, Advent Conspiracy Theories, um, I was really convicted when Jake gave the first sermon, kind of setting up what we're aiming to do for this. And <clears throat> I felt like God put on my heart a few people that I was supposed to try to start giving to things that I could just give without getting anything in return. I'll tell a little bit more about that, the way I've been experiencing that. But first, I'll tell you about my first experience. So one of the things that I thought we're going to look at today, several different types of people that God actually really, really loves, that God has compassion toward, that God has a heart toward, and he would encourage the body of believers, those who follow him, to also equally care for these types of people. And one such is, is refugees or foreigners. And so I, I knew that was at least going to be one that I wanted to do. I volunteer with Refugee Services of Texas, and so Sunday, Jake gave that sermon two weeks ago. Monday, I get an email that says, hey, we're, we're in need of someone to cook a meal for some, some women that we've just rescued from a trafficking situation. Would, it be, would anyone like to cook some meals? And so I was like, I guess this is my first application to, to this new season of Advent Conspiracy. So, so I signed up and said, yeah, let's do it. Another little side story to help with this story was that Brendan and I've had kind of a weird week of financial stuff the last few last month. Our cars died, our oven died, our dishwasher died, our dryer died. And so we had just got this brand new oven, and I'm going to cook jalapeno poppers for, Texas ref, uh, for, for the refugee services of Texas, right? So I'm, I'm all excited about this. I've got these jalapenos with cream cheese and bacon. It's all going to look good. And first time to use the oven, I stick them in there. And it's starting to take a while. It's not, it's not going as fast as I wanted. You want to deliver them on time when they said that their event starts at 5.30. Plus, I had a huddle, which is our version of our men's discipleship groups. I had that at 5.45. So it was ne- everything needed to go timely. And it wasn't really happening. So I decided just to turn up the heat about 50 degrees on the oven. Well, then what happens is uh, the, the, the grease starts rolling off the tray and into the bottom of our oven. And Brenda runs in and says, 
it's on fire, Justin. It's on fire. And, and there's fire like fluming up in our new, our new oven and, and it's still not helping him cook and I've got to be on time. And so pretty soon our house is just completely full of smoke, just tons of bacon smoke. And my guests, the missionary guest friends from out of town were showing up in an hour and our house smells like bacon, which actually isn't the worst of things. But then we, we finally get it. I have to get them out of the oven and get them into my grill and I put them on the grill and start firing up my grill to cook them faster. And I'm literally telling you, I'm sitting there mumbling cuss words under my breath while I'm trying to serve the refugees in the name of Jesus. That was my first Advent conspiracy experience. I hope if you've taken steps of faith, yours has gone much easier. Uh, my first one uh, did not. So I thought you guys would enjoy that. Again, let me tell you what, what I'm uh, going to talk to you one more time, that we're going to talk about the difference between exchanging um, and giving gifts. And that God really has a heart for specific groups of people that I think are the ones that we could say, we should join God in caring for these people like he cares for people. So we're going to start by looking at an Old Testament verse in uh, Deuteronomy 24. If Deuteronomy, you know that uh, that actually, the word Deuteronomy means like the second law. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, what happens is Moses has got all the Israelites are about to cross into the land, the promised land, and they get right to the edge. And he says, now you guys all need to gather and I'm going to read the second law. I'm going to read over the laws again and remind you that when you go into this promised land and you build this new culture, these are the things that you have to remember to do. So with that context, we get to Deuteronomy 24, and here's what it says, verse 17. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take a cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I command you to do this. So who do we see here that God has compassion for? There's three types of people, right? The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And God has compassion and concern for these people and, and asks the Israelites as they develop a new culture, they have to do it in a way that cares for them because they know, he knows that these people are the most vulnerable. And because they're the most vulnerable, they're the most prone to being abused. He knows that they're the most marginalized. And because they're the most marginalized, they're the most prone to being neglected, overlooked, passed over and not cared for. And I love that when he gets to the heart of the matter, he says, the reason that you guys need to care for them is I want you to remember. The reason I command this is because you need to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. You see, these many years, so they had been on this long journey to the promised land that they were about to enter. But the, along that journey, they could have forgotten where they had come from. And the reason that we're supposed to care for the fatherless, for the foreigner, for the widow, is because we remember how God cared for us that just like them, they were slaves in Egypt. They were the ones that were mistreated, were marginalized, were oppressed, were abused, neglected, and overlooked. They were the ones, and God's saying through Moses, remember where you were, and let that be what stirs your heart then to go and love these people on the margins. I love that we have our, our identity statement over here, and you hear us say it every week, and it's on your connection cards that we're a family loved and served by God that then is compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God because it starts with what's most important. We've been loved and served by God. We remember, then we can serve people out of a heart of God's heart for them and not just out of a religious duty and a way of even trying to earn favor with God. Instead, as we remember where God has brought us from, we can go forward and we can love the fatherless. We can love the foreigner. We can love the widow amongst us. Moses goes on to actually give them a real practical way to do this. So he says you need to not, uh, not abuse these people, but here's something very practical that you need to do. In verse 19, when you're harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and, and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may be bless you 
and all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives of your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over them again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. Again, it's a really simple principle. That when they had land and they're harvesting it, they're not supposed to harvest everything that they had. They're supposed to leave some for others. They're supposed to leave margin for those that are on the margins. And so real simply, what would this look like for us today? Many of us don't have crops <laughs> that we're doing, that we're, that we're um, cropping, harvesting. <laughs> we don't have crops that we're cropping. Um, but we do have jobs and we have resources. And so what would it look like for us? I think real simply, this, the principle here is don't consume all of your resources. Leave margin for those in need. Leave margin for those on the margins. Be a real simple thing for us to do, right? I, I was actually really struck in the first sermon. Jake pulled up a bunch of statistics, and one of them that struck me was he said the average American goes $1,000 in debt during the Christmas season buying gifts. That's not leaving margin, right? That's like not just not leaving any space. You're actually going in debt. What would it look like instead of going into debt during Advent or really this principle throughout the rest of our lives would be that we just leave room to always be ready to have stuff that we could give to other people that are on the margins. This is real simply how we could apply the scripture in our day. These aren't just the three, only, the only three categories that God cares for. Uh, Jesus, when he's speaking to his followers, he mentions several other types of people. You can follow this one in particular, the, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the uh, widow throughout the Bible. You see them tons, but Jesus expands even more people that God particularly has a heart for and cares for. To do that, we'll look at Luke 14. Kind of a little backdrop to this passage in Luke 14 um, Jesus is invited to a prominent religious leader's house for lunch. So he's got this, this kind of big wig religious leader says, hey, Jesus, I want you to come have lunch with me. And they're, they're all kind of hobnobbing and hanging around. And Jesus starts to make some observations about this, this luncheon that they're having together. He notices that it's really more about power than it is about caring for people because the people are all kind of one up in each other. They're trying to get in the prominent seats at the table so that they can actually look like they're more important than the rest. And among other things, Jesus actually tells them this. In verses 14, 12 through 14, he said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So who do we see here that Jesus was reminding us that we ought to have compassion for? It was for the poor and for the disabled. Jesus had incredible heart and compassion and modeled the, the heart of God. Jesus in human form modeled that so well in his life. Spending time with the poor, he himself was poor. He didn't have parties where he would try to be the most prominent person and, and have parties for the sake of power. He was also so gracious, so, so gracious to the disabled, to the lepers of that day whom no one would touch. Jesus would touch them. He would heal them. He would talk with them. This is a major part of Jesus' life. If you read the, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus is constantly reaching out to the disabled and to the poor. Jesus was getting to the heart of the religious leader's issue too, right? What was the heart of their issue? The heart of their issue was that they only wanted to give to those who were able to give back. For them, everything was an exchange. Like, I'm willing to throw a party. I'll do something if I can maybe get something back out of it. And this is the thing that Jesus so wisely sees in their hearts 
And he says, you know what? You guys are doing this all wrong. The way you actually should give is you should give to those who can't give back because the poor, the disabled, they're not going to give you anything back. But those are the people that God loves. And so those are the ones that you should be inviting to your parties, religious leaders. For them, it was all about an exchange. I thought it was pretty interesting this week to hear the story. I don't know if you heard it, but Tyler Perry, the, the um, uh, famous actor and, and producer, he actually went to a Walmart and paid off uh, $434,000 of debt of people that had layaway items at Walmart. So some of these, among these people that went that $1,000 plus in debt, he snuck in there as a secret Santa and, and just paid off $434,000 of debt. And he can't get anything back from those people, right? He actually tried to make it a secret so no one would know who he was. Or I'm a big football fan, so I was encouraged by the, the, to hear from a guy named Geno Atkins, uh, lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. He actually went to a children's hospital in Cincinnati and paid off 50 families' child bills of the, of the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, just paid off all their bills for them. Secret Santa, right? We don't have to do it in a secret Santa way. We just have to look for people that are poor. We have to look for people that are disabled, and we choose instead that we're going to give to them because it's not about an exchange. Jesus says, your heart's not right if you're just in it to get something back. What we need to do is look to those that God loves, the poor and the disabled, and give ourselves and our money and our time to them. So here's the simple principle that Jesus gives. Give to those who can't give back to you. Pretty simple. Just give to those that can't give back to you. So buy a homeless person a meal or, or spend time with a disabled person. And giving, by the way, does not always just mean monetarily or in, in something tangible. This can be actually giving of your time. We're going to see that in this later passage that we'll look at. The part of giving is just giving your presence, like we talked about two weeks ago, giving your presence to be with somebody. And that can be, as you know, something where you don't get something back often too, right? Would you admit that you have had some friendships or you've cared for people? And in some cases, you have relationships where, man, it's mutually. You're both getting something back. But there's other times that God tells you to step out of your comfort zone and to love someone whom you're not going to get anything back emotionally. So you're, not gonna, you're gonna end up being more spent or exhausted by that relationship than actually built up. I can testify to that as my uh, serving at, at Helping Hand Home, which is a foster care home and treatment center that many of us at, at this church uh, uh, partner with. I go there once a week, and sometimes it's actually a real blast, and it's a real blessing. Other times, I, I just leave way more exhausted and sad, and I didn't feel like I made a connection, and I was the one that was giving and giving, and nothing was really returned to me. But that's the way that Jesus calls us to give. Not as an exchange, but we give of ourselves emotionally, give of ourselves materially to those that can't give back. That's what he would call us to do. There's one uh, other set of people that Jesus mentions. We'll look at one more passage in Matthew 25. And then before we look there, I'll give you kind of a little bit of a context. It's pretty interesting because it's like the last few days of Jesus' life before he would die and then rise again, but the last time that he's spending with his disciples before his death. And so this time he's getting a lot more clear about that he's going to die, that he's going to rise from the dead again. And he gets pretty clear about how he's going to come back. They were kind of expecting that he was going to usher in like some earthly kingdom. But he's saying, no, I'm going to suffer and die, but later I am going to come back. And so he speaks to them pretty directly about some of the signs that they should be looking for and that he is going to come back. And at that time, he is going to judge the earth. Now, if you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus, I would really, I, I can totally understand how that wouldn't make a lot of sense or how that seems like pretty far out. But, but as Christians, like we, we really believe that these are the words that Jesus spoke and that the Bible's reliable and, and that, that if Jesus said that he was coming back, 
and that he would one day judge the earth and make everything right and create a new heaven, a new earth. Like, like we really believe that. And, and it's okay if you don't. I would encourage you just to continue to read, read the Gospels and continue your friendships with us here, and, and maybe someday you would believe that too. But this is the context for which the disciples are going to hear these three parables. So Jesus is going to tell them three parables after he just talked about the ends of the time. The first one is about these women. There's these 10 women that have, are there going out and they're waiting for Jesus' return. And they all have lamps, and some of them expect that they're going to have to wait a really long time, so they brought extra oil. The other ones forgot the extra oil, so they ran out. So when they went back to go get more oil, then Jesus came back and they missed it. So that's parable number one, story number one. Story number two, he tells a story of a king that gives people bags of gold, all different amounts, but he tells them, I want you guys to go invest it before I come back. And then when he comes back, two of them had actually invested the gold and multiplied it, but one of them had done nothing with it. And the two that had, he welcomes into his kingdom, and the one that did nothing with it, he moves them out of his kingdom. And so I say all that to say, here's what the disciples are probably thinking, right? They've got in their head, Jesus is coming back. He's leaving us now. We want to be like the ones that have the extra oil. We want to be ready. We want to be ready and waiting, make sure that we're ready. And then he's entrusted us with something, so how are we going to be faithful with it? So we're probably asking the question like, okay, how do we wait and be faithful so that when he does come back, we're, we're found ready, we're found faithful? So probably asking that question is when Jesus would give them uh, this story. Matthew 25, he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for the kingdom has prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus really clear, clearly tells them that he's going to judge all the nations, that he is coming back, and he's going to separate, in this case, the sheep from the goats, and there's going to be the sheep that he invites into his kingdom based on what they've done. Now, I kind of feel like I want to take you where it, where it kind of goes to the rest of the sermon, one more point about these specific people that are listed here, but I feel like there's a, a little thing that we have to explain real quick in the, in the interpretation of this, because it's a tricky passage that's been interpreted lots of different ways throughout uh, Christian history, and so I want to tell you kind of where we land as a church, and I want to be real clear. One thing's really obvious is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're saved by our good works, because that would contradict all the rest of Scripture. The, mo the most important rule in, in Scripture interpretation is use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we know clearly that we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by doing good things. That doesn't give us eternal life. The only thing that can get us a right relationship with God and inherit eternal life is our faith in Jesus. He said it himself when he said, For God so loved the world that, whoever, uh, that he sent his only, one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. The way that we get eternal life is by putting our faith in Jesus and following him. That's clear, very clear throughout Scripture. So this can't mean that. What I think that it does mean is, is helps to tie, tie back to a, a Scripture in Matthew 10. 
In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out the disciples for the first time. So they're actually going to go into the different towns and be missionaries and do his, his work. And he gives them a lot of instruction, tons of instruction on how to do it, how to go about it. And part of the instruction lies, and he says, he tells them to expect rejection. Like some people are going to reject you. And then when they, when they reject you, just move on to the next town. But then he says, other people are going to receive you. And when they receive you, stay in that town and share the message. And when they receive you, what they're really doing is they're receiving me. In fact, he, he puts it this way in, in verse 41 of Matthew 10. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me, and welcomes the one who sent me. So you, you see the flow there? That if, if you are welcomed, what they're really doing then, if they're welcoming you in the message, what they're really doing is they're welcoming me and the Father who sent me. Uh, Jesus so identifies with his people that Jesus' were the, Jesus' disciples were the embodiment of Jesus as missionaries when they would go out. And that's why when the later the, the apostles would start writing some of the New Testament, they would actually refer to us as the body of Christ, like we are the body of Christ. Or you think about when, uh, you know, the story of Saul, when Saul became Paul, he was persecuting the church and he was going after Christians and killing Christians. And one day God blinds him and Jesus speaks to him. And Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, he wasn't persecuting Jesus, was he? He was, he was persecuting the church. But Jesus so identifies with his body that he says, no, you're, you're persecuting me because I am indwelling in my people. They're the body of Jesus. So that's the link that's there. So now if you take it back with these truths in mind, you can go back and, and, and you go back to the phrase, whatever you have done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done to me. So the good works that we are really an evidence of the sheep that they've responded to the disciples and they've responded to the message and received disciples. So those that have accepted Jesus as disciples and their message thus accepted Jesus and the gospel. So receiving the disciples was the evidence that they had responded to the gospel. That's why he calls them the least of these brothers and sisters of me. So now back to the disciples' question. They're asking, right, how do we wait faithfully and be good stewards? The primary answer is, is love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Love the family of God and care for my people. Now, one side note, while this is a specific scripture, I think, that says that we're supposed to care for each other, that does not mean in any way that we're not supposed to care for those outside the Christian community. We could point to many other scriptures that say to do that as well. But in this particular story, Jesus is saying, we can tell how you responded to the gospel by the way that you treat your brothers and sisters. So, back to the ones that Jesus has compassion on. Who are the people that Jesus mentions here, Right? He mentions the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the unclothed, the sick, and the imprisoned. Those are the people that says that we should definitely care for because God cares for those people. He has compassion on the hungry and thirsty that we can help them by giving them food and water. He has compassion on the, the naked, or as Jake would say, the naked. He has compassion on the naked or the naked. Um, and so we have to have clothing. <laughs> And the stranger needs hospitality and needs to be welcomed. The sick and the imprisoned, they just need a visit. They need compassion. They need a conversation. I love this too in this passage because it tells that there's some things physically that you can do, some actual resources that you can give, food and water and clothing. But the other parts of it is actually you just need your, you just need your presence. Like the sick just need someone to visit them. The prison want someone to visit them. They want conversation. They want care. And so whether you give of your resources or you give of your time, these are the people that Jesus loves. These are the people that he's calling us to give toward, not in exchange, but to give. 
So one of the things that I did, honestly, personally, this is just for me. I'm not su- suggesting this for you, but I felt like God put on my heart during this Advent conspiracy to actually try to do something for each one of these categories of people. I'm not sure that I'm going to get there. I'm not putting pressure on myself or I'm not a failure if I don't do it or something, but I've made it my aim to, to see what that would look like this Advent season uh, to give to someone in each of these categories. So I already told you my fun story of giving to the foreigner. Uh, they did like the jalapeno poppers, ultimately, I was told. <laughs> so... Um, so I did get to serve that way, though, probably not with the right heart. Um, I do serve the fatherless, like I said, uh, every week with Helping Ann Home, so I'm trying to approach that in a, in a, uh, a way that's mindful of Advent. Um, this week I called a, a neighbor that's a widow just to check in on her and see how she was doing. Um, I plan to go visit her or where there's a widower on the street next to us that I think I might actually just go visit him this next week. Um, Last week, it was really great. Someone from RMC invited a homeless person to Midtown, and so we got to talk, and this week, I got to uh, take him out to lunch and buy him some shoes and clothes. Um, For disabled, I actually have a really good friend named uh, Roger who has cerebral palsy, Um, and he and I actually, for the last 20 years, we get together like every other week. He's he's homebound. He can't get out of his house without a wheelchair, and so just to just to go show up and take him out to lunch every other week and spend time with him has been a tremendous uh, blessing um, in my life and really deep in my faith. I don't know who I'm going to visit that's sick, but we'll see if that happens or not. Um, and then um, Wednesday, I'm actually going to see Tim Seabolt. Some of you all know uh, Tim Seabolt, who's a partner with Midtown, who's actually um, in jail right now in Williamson County. Uh, I've seen him a couple times the last month or so, but going to go see him uh, this week as well. If I'm honest, I would say that it, the, the experiences, while they haven't been as bad as the jalapeno popper, <laughs> they also haven't been like mind-blowing or life-changing. But they've been fun just to, in this season of Advent, to conspire against the, the flow of our culture to say, hey, you know, in this, this time I'm going to try to give and intentionally give to certain pockets of people that I know that God cares for. And so at the end of uh, the time here, I'd really like to just challenge you guys to do something similar. Real quick challenge is just during the season of Advent to pick one person or one place to serve that fits one of these categories of people. So a foreigner, fatherless, widow, poor, disabled, hungry, thirsty, stranger, unclothed, sick, uh, in prison. If you could just during the Advent season, maybe just give, not in exchange, this is going to be a give something to one person in that category and see what God would do. I know for me, um, I'm just hoping it gets my heart closer to Jesus because I want to celebrate Him during the season and care for the people that He cares about. Before we wrap up this morning, I do want to take us back to that verse in uh, Deuteronomy 24. I mentioned it briefly earlier, but I find it most helpful when we think of something like this because I'm not trying to heap guilt on anybody. We're not trying to you know, force anyone to, to feel bad for their circumstances or situations or anything like that. But the reason that we do this is we go back to Deuteronomy 24:18. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I command you to do this. Like, if we're going to care for these types of people, marginalized people I spoke about today, uh, we want to do so with a right heart. Otherwise, it's just religion, right? We're just being religious and trying to earn God's favor or something like that. So what we want to do is we want to have a right heart. And the way that we keep our heart right in the way that we serve these types of people is to remember who we were. Remember that we were poor and hungry and, and naked and sick and fatherless. We were foreigners until Jesus died for us and rose again, invited us to be reconciled with him. That's what we want to do. We want to do what Moses said and what Jesus said. What did Moses said? Remember that you were slaves. Jesus said, take this cup and take this bread and do this 
in remembrance of me. So as we take communion today, I'd urge you just to think about how God has worked in your life and think of yourself as the one who is the poor, the orphan, the widow, the hungry, the needy, and think of what God has done for you. And as we do, let's pray that God would then stir our hearts and, and use us to go and give to the people that he loves as well. We practice open communion here, so anyone who's put their faith in Jesus is welcome to take communion. We have it at the front and the back, and during these next couple songs, you can come at any time uh, during the service and, and go back to your seats and take it in your own time. Uh, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, we'd, we'd invite you to do so. Also, would point out that we started having some prayer partners back in the back, so uh, the Tolanders are going to be back in the back, and they have a little name tag that says prayer team. If there's any sort of need or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, they would really love to minister to you through prayer. Speaking of prayer, let me pray, and let's worship together. Father, we pray that we would grow to have uh, your heart, that we would care for these types of people that you cared for, and, and really the ones that you gave special instructions throughout, throughout Scripture to remind us not to neglect them. Speak to each of our hearts individually, um, and real specifically, uh, we're we're asking uh, everyone to consider during the season to give, um, to dress Sember. It's a real tangible way. We can all go different ways as you lead us, but, but one way we really want you to lead us corporately and just have one thing that we all give together. As we have that special offering next Sunday, we ask that, that you would just lead us all to give to this or another cause. We ask for um, your direction. Thank you that you love us. We pray as we uh, have communion now that we would actually reflect on the way that you saved us from these same conditions. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.